Welcome to this week's episode of Cinematic Adventures, where we made a promise and we totally broke it because of scheduling. What? How are you going to yeah. start out saying, yeah, we lied? What the heck? I'm sorry. My name's Daniel. Oh, sure. That's how you're going to start this? Seriously? Look, all right. Here's the thing. We said that we do like the worst movies ever, but then we figured out that it was, there was a scheduling thing. So we needed to push that back. Indeed. So, yeah, he's Future Man. I'm JP, the cool one, in the here and now. And this week, instead of talking about worst movies, which we're still going to do, we're just pushing it back a couple of weeks, this week we are going to talk about Daniel's February homework, because February is almost over, so we figured we might shoehorn that in before the month is over. And his, do you, you want to explain what your project is for this year? My project for this year is to watch films I lowered my expectations a lot um to watch films from um a specific actor or actress for the month indeed and i'm the one deciding the actor or actress and the way i've chosen to do it is to pull a six degrees of kevin bacon style so he gets an actor or actress this month it is elizabeth taylor and mm -hmm. then after watching those films an actor or actress in one of those films is his actor for the next month. In this case, for March, it will be Paul Newman, who is with her in Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. He was cute. I like him a lot. Yeah. He was we'll, dreamy. we'll talk about that um, later, but how do you want to do this? Chronological, best, etc. What's well, your homework? What are your what are your thoughts on Elizabeth Taylor's body of work in general from what you've seen thus far? It, she, it seems to me that she's like, okay, you want me to play this specific type of character? I'm going to do it in the best way possible. Because um, she started with Father the Bride, where she was like, it, it was, it's a comedy, and she plays like this, like, oh, no, my wedding. Um, but she still has a heart. And then she goes from that to being like, okay, you want me to play the love interest in relationships? Fine. I'll go to fucking... Wolf, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Wolf, and it'll be amazing. You're welcome. Okay, so to clarify, she didn't start with that. You started with that. True. <laughs> because she started with National Velvet as a teenager. You just picked up on her in her into adulthood as the first film that you'd ever heard of her in, being Father of the Bride. Yeah. Um, I have a pack of um, Elizabeth Taylor movies, and I watched those. Ah, so what are the films that you saw? Wait, National Velvet wasn't part of it? No. Interesting. Okay, what are the films that you saw for I also this month? wanted to. I also have Cleopatra, uh, but I didn't have time to watch it because it is like nine hours long. Yeah, it's not, you don't, you're not missing anything. So uh, what are the ones that you actually did watch? I saw Father the Bride, Cat on the Hot Tin Roof, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and for some reason, she was in Flintstones. <sighs> for fuck's sake. I thought Father's I Little Dividend was going to be your other movie of hers. I, di I didn't have time. But you did have time to watch Flintstones. I watched that like eight years ago. I don't know anything about it. Oh, uh, okay. I thought you meant you like watched it again this time. No, I would have watched like something good. Oh, thank goodness. All hope is not completely lost, although you are still Daniel. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
The reason I'm saying that is because the shit he watched for his worst list. Oh my uh, god, that list is painful. Uh, I'm so glad I got to take a break. I didn't even do that. I just went, what movies did I want to walk out of the theater on? And what movies did I, act- I've actually only walked out of, and all of the movies that I've seen in my life, I've only walked out of the theater twice before the film was over. So I was like, well, those two need to make it on the list. Because that's we'll pretty bad. That. We'll talk about that later. But like, I wanted to Indeed. walk out of a specific movie and it's not on my list. That's how bad my list is. See, that's what I'm talking about. You're a glutton for punishment. Okay, back yeah. to the actual good part, Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. Elizabeth Taylor, um, she's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's so good. Even when she's in like a supporting role, like in Father the Bride, mm-hmm. uh, she's, she's just a beacon of great acting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she, she earned her chops. She was not some like fly-by-night, oh, she's just famous because she's pretty. She actually can act, and she's really good at it. Also, as a side note, She's very pretty. <laughs> I take that time to say that she's pretty. She yeah. Is, she is very pretty. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. So let's start with Father of the Bride because it is the um, least time we spend with Elizabeth Taylor because it's about her father. Right. Um, so Father of the Bride follow, uh, is, was made in 19, uh, 1950. Damn. She's been on for a long time. Uh, it was made in 1950, and it follows um, the father of of uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, okay, how about this? Most people, I think, have seen one okay. version or the other Father of Bride. But what do you, since you've seen both of them, compare and contrast the two? Okay, I don't remember the other Father of Bride at all. The one with Steve Martin and um, and the other Steve. Yeah, it was very unmemorable. I don't remember at all. Who cares? Um, really? I, yeah, but um, what I find interesting is that this film got remade and is popular because this relies heavily on 1950s context, which is the father of the bride is expected to pay for the wedding, and that's yeah, it. But at the time that it was remade, the father of the bride was still expected to pay for the wedding. Wow. It was remade in the 90s. It wasn't remade like last year or anything. I mean, all right. So it's... They did, um, to be fair, they did bring up the whole like not the 1950s context because they had that scene where um like the argument that they had was over him buying her a cooking tool and she was angry she was like oh you think this is the 1950s so they they did like they brought that up in the the 1950s so i know i'm saying it's that was their that was their method of saying like this isn't the 1950s that's what i'm saying all right, fair enough. I really like Elizabeth Taylor's character, Kay, in this. Because on multiple occasions, she offers her father a bailout. And she's like, we can just elope. You can give us uh, $1,500 or whatever, which was what his plan was. But then his wife was like, no, we wouldn't do that. And he's like, no, of course not. What do you want to do? Get me in trouble? I like him. <laughs> I like all these characters. They're, they're doing their best, and um, it's not like she's a spoiled brat, which is what I thought going in that this was going to be, where she wanted like the most expensive thing and he's forced to pay for it. But she's like, I know that it's expensive, and we're on a budget. Yeah, she wasn't. She was. It was very reasonable. So I figure like that's why you like it because you're so into characters, and you're. It's not just that you're into characters. You're into nice characters. 
I love you're into likable characters. So this is a, a good movie for you because it's filled with likable characters. Uh-huh. Unlike the the two main entries <laughs> for Elizabeth Elizabeth. So, yeah. But before that, so um I I like that dad is amazing. He he's very funny. It's, it feels like a sick it feels like a uh yeah. Spencer Tracy, it feels like a um a sitcom setup. Like this is an episode of a sitcom. <laughs> I also spent a lot of time looking up prices, and that cake is fucking expensive. Are you nuts? It's like four thousand dollars. What's going on? I mean, wedding like anything in the wedding industry, there's a ridiculous markup. Everything mm-hmm. is insanely expensive. But yeah, like the cake, the flowers, like if you were to go to a florist and say you wanted the exact same amount of flowers and like this entire arrangement, but not, but have it be for like, you know, just say you were having like a get together with your friends and you wanted to fill the whole place with flowers, you'd get one price. You call that exact same florist and be like, yeah, um, I need, a, I need to know how much it would be for a wedding. It go, it skyrockets for the same thing. Like it's, there's a markup when you say the word wedding. <laughs> Cause I mean, think about it. what's a cake. It's, Butter, sugar, flour, right? And eggs. Right. And then there's there's no egg on, on the planet that's that expensive. Okay. <laughs> it, and and you think like, oh, you're getting paid for the decorator's time. The actual decorator that works on your cake is probably like a low level person getting paid minimum wage. That's not where the cost comes from. Nope, it comes specifically <laughs> from markups. Point is everything expensive. Yep. Um. I I heard they got an entire orchestra for eighty dollars, and I'm like, that doesn't seem that bad. And then I looked up how much eighty dollars was, and I'm like, I mean, for an orchestra, it still doesn't seem that bad. It's an orchestra. Yeah, eighty dollars is like a thousand. That was literally fifty years ago. So, um, but yeah, so this entire thing is a sitcom setup. I really like it. It's very fun. Seven uh, seven hundred and six dollars, eh, which is that like. Seems- amazingly low for from eighty dollars to seven hundred and six today's money i don't know that still seems a little like the conversion oh, seems low i felt like it would be worth more or be that it'd be higher um, oh this one is specifically for 2015 i'm not oh, okay. bother checking again uh but yeah it's great um elizabeth taylor's uh k uh is uh fun uh they ha- her and her dad have a back and forth her husband is barely a character yeah. Well, because I mean, it, it is focused on her father and his mm-hmm. like having a heart attack basically over it. Because it's at, at the heart of it, the story itself is about not only the financial burden of a wedding, but also the stress of losing your daughter. Yeah. So it's and- like that's the emotional toil, but then there's also like the financial toil. And then there's also just the frenzy of everything going on with the planning and all the people and all the coordinating and everything happening. So there's not really any moment to catch your breath. It's like, by the time you recover from one thing, you get hit in the gut with another, you know, you're like, oh, I'm losing my baby. And it's like, okay, and this is going to be an expensive loss. And then you got to go here and you got to go over there. And you gotta... So it's, it's like, it was the first movie to show like how chaotic weddings are. It's very fun. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, it also is like when he wants to make that speech before when before she goes on her honeymoon and he can't because he's too busy with everything that's happening mm-hmm. it's heartbreaking and i'm like oh no yeah. 
and then when um, she calls him and they get to have, um, and she actually says goodbye because she was also in a rush. But, but she's like, I need to take time out to make sure that my dad knows that I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, like I said, that's what, to me, that's the heart of the story is the, it's the comedic part is the, him having to deal with the finances and like the chaos through all of everything. But then the heartbreaking part is, you know, he loses his little girl. Like, no, she's not dead, but she's not his little girl anymore. She's an adult and she's moved on. She's not even in the house. She's, she's gone now. And that goodbye call was like, that's goodbye. That's it. She's no longer, she no longer has your last name. It's, I, it works. I like it a lot. Um, my, the, the weird thing about it, and this is like a, another context thing. The weird thing about it is that he doesn't know who he is and they're getting married. And like, you, people don't meet the per, their fiance, the kid's fiance at all. Well, at the time in the 50s, I think it was more of a strange thing. Um, now, not so much. Now, people, it's at least in the US, it's more common for someone to bring home someone and be like, yeah, I'm going to marry this person. <laughs> it's not, because, yeah, because um, we've, we've got a bit more separation. Like, not everybody, certainly. There are some people who, I mean, there are people who married their high school sweethearts and they grew up with the person that they married. But then there are people who, like, meet people while they're, you know, living in another state, and then they bring that person home. Like, this is my fiancé. Oh, so it's, it's, it's more normal now. In the 50s, it was more, more, much more of a big deal. But, like, the 90s remake, it wasn't an issue at all. It was just like, in fact, I don't even think she said anything until she came home. She didn't say, like, oh, you know, she because she was supposed to be coming home from college. And then when she got there, she was like, by the way, I'm marrying him. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the norm. I was like, yeah, there's this dude I met when I was in Spain. And, yeah, we're getting married. And so your parents really only have, like, a couple meetings to vet your prospective other. That's what Meet the Parents is all about. So the, um, you're not talking about the movie Meet the Parents, right? Well, the movie Meet the Parents is about him, the person meeting, um, uh, is about, oh, what the fuck's his name? I forget the actor's name, but it's about him um, meeting. Robert De Niro, or are you talking about, um, I almost said Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not Jerry Seinfeld. Um, um, crap, I can't remember his name. He was in right? Zoolander. It's that guy, name. Zoolander guy. So yeah. Zoolander, so um, Zoolander uh, has is meeting the parents. So this this setup of meeting the parents and then shenanigans happen happens all the time. When they go to um, his house and it turns out that his family's rich and he's um, so so the the first part of the movie the setup is the the fiance has to impress him and then when it turns out that he's financially uh, stable, his family is rich, uh, then the entire thing is switched on um, on Spencer Tracy in order to try and impress, uh, in order to try and impress um, the fiance's uh, family. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just the thought, I think in, in his head, he thinks like, oh, I didn't know this guy because he's like some broke loser. But 
no, 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 no. You're the broke loser compared to his family. (laughs) So he was afraid that he was going to have to support his daughter and their, their family and like give them a job and all this stuff. And it's like, Oh no, we're the broke ones. Oh, okay. When (laughs) when those, when that uh, douchebag decorator comes in and is like, Mm, these doors will have to go. And it's like, this, it, throughout the entire thing, this is so beneath me. I hate it. I work for royalty. <laughs> well, you know, that's how people it, are. Yeah, people are assholes. Um, I, I hate him. He's a jerk. He's so good, though. He's such a good <laughs> jerk. Okay, so speaking of such a jerk, moving on to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uh, okay. Um, so, a mere 16 years later... And it turns out that not only is she fun and pretty and a good actress, but she's like a great actress. Holy shit. (laughs) Not only is she a good actress, she's a great actress. (laughs) She's so fucking good. Uh, That relationship is totally toxic. Everything is terrible. And and they're they're named after um, George Washington and Martha Washington. So it's like, Look at this American ideal. Look, people get married. Like, it's the American dream. And it's like, no, fuck you. Yeah, actually, the whole thing is an allegory for the country itself. Okay. That's why they were named George and Martha. And so, from what I've heard, it was, like, supposed to be a takedown. So, basically, you have, like, the old guard showing their self-destruction. The old guard that is, you know, that's the pomp and circumstance and the whole, yes, we're great, everything's awesome. And then you see behind the curtain and they self-destruct right in front of the new guard who's supposed, like, we know that the new guard is like hot, a hot mess, but they're watching their elders who are supposed to have their shit together. And it's like, no, turns out nobody has their shit together and everybody's fucked up. It's movies like this that made gay people not, uh, not fight for marriage until like the 80s. <laughs> Like, you want to fight for this? <laughs> yeah. And, like, I there's a book called uh, Defining Marriage, which is about um, the fight for marriage equality in America throughout history. And it turns out that there wasn't really organized uh, fights to get married until the 80s because, like, all of the images of marriage was people hate each other. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, I knew she won an Oscar. The moment she came on screen, I'm like, she won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, in fairness, she did, like, she wasn't that big before the role. She gained weight for that role and toned down her makeup and, like, looked far more homely than she normally does, specifically for that role. She's like, because she like, looked like a wreck and just a hot mess. And she pulled it off. <laughs> so yeah, and you have uh, Nick and Honey who look who present themselves as like the ideal America. We are America, and then it's revealed that they also are a hot mess. They just hide it better because they care about their image. Well, to me, I don't think they hide it better <clears throat> because I think that they're. I think so like we the the whole thing takes place like within their bubble right right so we were to go outside of their house outside of their little bubble of of the people who see that they're a hot mess the people who know them they would all present as pomp and circumstance none more so than the professor himself like he's gonna present as like 
the upstanding. He's a professor. He's this. He's a celebrated intellectual, and he's married to this beautiful woman, and they're so successful. Like they, if you take a step outside of the hot mess that they are, they would they present as the professional class, the intellectuals. They would from the outside, they would look like they've got their shit together, just like. George Seagal and um, and the other chick, just like Honey and Nick, but uh, Amy, Sandy Amy, Dennis. From a society, Sandy Dennis, yeah. From a society standpoint, like they would actually, the the older couple would present even as even more respected because they're tenured. So yeah. from the outside looking in, the couple that is the most damaged appears the most on the level. They appear like the most pristine. When in reality, like they're insane. <laughs> so. Yeah, um, George and Martha have have a level of not giving a fuck uh, about their image that I respect. And if they were, and if they weren't assholes, then <laughs> I'd I'd respect that more. But like the fact that they're like, no, we're stuck in this stupid marriage because of um, our kid or whatever, and when. When it's revealed that Nick and um, Honey, her name's Honey, by the way, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, because it's way on the nose. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the other characters are George and Martha. So. Yeah, it's not yeah. subtle. Um, not not so trying to be. <laughs> Nick and Honey got married because Honey faked a pregnant. Yeah, but she didn't actually fake it. Didn't she? Nope. She had an abortion. Hun- oh. Oh. I didn't, yeah, he didn't take it. Just like oh, their son, fuck. like George and Martha, that uh, the son that you thought died, that son never existed. Okay. They up. That's why she was so angry. So, because remember, he kept yelling, you brought him up, you brought him up. So it was a, the whole thing, like the, even the name of the movie, it's about games that they play. And one of the games is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, right? Um, right. And the games that they play, the games that they play are basically psyops. It's like, it's, it's crazy, it's intellectual, it's super fucked in the head. One of the games that they play is, it turns out they weren't able to have children, so they invented a son. And they, but they, it's just an internal thing. It's just supposed to be between the two of them. And so one of them would be like, oh, our son this, our son that, blah, blah, blah. And they would like, go back and forth on who their son is or who their son would be. And she broke the golden rule by mentioning the son to Nick. She wasn't supposed to do that. That's why that he is, kept saying, you brought him up. You brought him up. And I because killed him. I was so... Okay, I didn't get that at all because I thought that he had died like a few years ago and she was in denial. And he's like, no, I got to kill him. Um, by telling you the truth. I thought that he, that that fictional story was a real one that happened and they pretended that it was fictional, but their son died, which is why her dad didn't want to publish it because it was fucked. No, 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 no. It was the other way around. <laughs> you, okay. were, you were close, but it, you flip it. So it wasn't, it didn't, there wasn't a real son that died. They had a fake son because she couldn't have a kid. So instead of, it's, it's kind of like the stories we tell ourselves. Instead of acknowledging the truth that she couldn't have a child, they created a son and they tell each other stories about their son back and forth. So they're like, you know, when he was one. So from the day they created the store, the son, they created tales of what the son did today. 
like, oh, today he started walking. Oh, today he did blah, blah, blah. Today he did yada, yada. And then when, and then she decided to, but the thing is, it was supposed to be between the two of them because it would be too painful to real, to reveal the truth. Right. Because like right. people think you're, you invented a kid who does that. So it was supposed to stay between the two of them. It was a coping device for the fact that they couldn't actually have a kid. And oh, that's even she, way more fucked up. Right. And when she betrayed him by actually telling Nick, and it's more important, like the reason why she told Nick and the reason why it stung so much to George that she betrayed him by telling Nick is because George knew that she was going to sleep with Nick. So she was stabbing him in the front. She wasn't even stabbing him in the back. She was just like, oh yeah, this guy over here, I'm about to fuck him. And I'm going to let him in on our our little fantasy. So he was like, okay, you bring him up, I killed him. Oh, that's... So now their fake kid is dead. Oh, that's that's not great. Yes, yeah, so there goes their whole coping mechanism over not, ever ha- not being able to have children. <laughs> Fuck, that's fucked yeah. up. Yeah, whole movie. <laughs> the whole movie's fucked up. But I, I mean, love movies like that where people are so... It's, it's, it's so real, you know? It's so because good. It's so good. They're, they're so broken, and I feel so bad for them. Yeah. It, it's, ah, oh, this movie's amazing. Yeah, so the real reason, like you were saying, the reason why they stayed married was because of the son that you thought had died. No, she actually admits it in a scene. She turns to, the, she does like a soliloquy where she admits why they stay together. I think she's talking to Nick in the scene. And she's telling him that, She's angry at her husband for staying with her because she knows she's so fucked up, but he won't leave her and he just keeps. And she basically explains that, like, he's not the victim because at first you can kind of get the slant that he's been victimized by her because she's so overtly mean to him. But if you pay attention, he pokes the bear. Oh, no, I, not- I just thought that they were just as bad as each other. Yeah, they were. But it, but the way they frame it initially, like you at first you see her attacking. You see him kind of like, he's very passive aggressive in his attacks. She's just overtly aggressive, but they're both attacking each other. And she even admits in the scene that like the reason why she hates him is because he's her perfect match. Because he dares to, every time she hits him verbally, he hits her right back. But he does it in like a passive aggressive manner so he's not overtly mean. And she's like, and she loves that. She loves the fact that she can be as nasty to him as she wants. And he'll just indirectly be, you know, send it back. And she, she hates that she needs that because anybody else would have left her. But she kind of, she does need that. So, and she knows that he needs her too. Because he is also filled with the cynicism and he's just as broken as her. And that's why he stays. Like they're both, they're both really fucked up. That's why they stay together because they are the perfect match for each other. They're equally fucked up, but in different ways. I, it's, I, yeah. And they um, spend the entire time trying to prove that Nick and Honey are just as fucked up as they are. I, see, to me... I don't think they're trying to prove it as more like just exposing it because I, the way I saw it, it was like, they're the elders who were like, Oh no, no. I, we see through your artifice. We know you're fucked up 
and we're just gonna like stick we stick around long enough and you'll expose yourselves and they do i by the way sandy dennis uh who plays honey is having a fun time pretending to be drunk she is fucking wasted the entire movie and she's like ah violence violence oh she's great (laughs) this is how comic relief should be (laughs) she got an oscar for that oh it deserves it (laughs) um to me it's it was when i first saw it i thought that they were weird because like just as an audience member you're watching these two like you're watching a hurricane and a tornado and you're sitting there wondering why the fuck am i in the path of this i need to leave but they don't leave and you realize they don't leave because they're just as fucked up so it's like it's like i always think like why did the people in kansas not just move it's tornado land and they're like ah they're not that bad and i'm like it's that it's amazing (laughs) what you can adapt to yeah, but it but it turns out like what, it, what is later revealed is that no, they're just as fucked up because even though he's even though Nick is married to Honey, he's basically his real name a man- is Honey. Yeah, he's basically a man whore who's attempting to sleep his way to the top, and he's like, I may as well start with your wife, and admits it. And then, and I only married my wife because she's hot, and I thought she was pregnant. And then Honey is like, Yeah, I was pregnant, and I had it aborted. Because this guy's a douchebag. Society's <laughs> yeah. fucked. People are fucked. And mind you, this is what the late sixties, the mid sixties. So yeah, totally taboo to have an abortion. It's <laughs> so good because this is the mid sixties, and in this time you have like you have uh, sitcoms have been in full swing, uh, and now it's the mid sixties, and people are starting to like reverse. Uh, are starting to question the sitcom um setups well okay the family dynamics what you also have to realize is going on is think of what's happening in the u.s at this time at the time that this was written and the time that it came out this was involvement in this is like the beginning of the involvement in the vietnam war it's right after the korean war it's during the civil rights movement it's during the assassination uh it's during us going the time we went to the moon and you know the cold war is ramping up it's during the assassination of um not only the civil rights leaders but also the president there's a lot of shit going on in the u.s so basically from the outset the u.s at this time is the people in the movie it's like on the outside, hey, we got our shit together. On the inside, help us. So <laughs> it was like a perfect storm. Like it was a perfect time for that film to come out. I was. And uh, this is yeah. The, and um, I was. I looked up the release date of the play, and the play came out in 1962, which is why it's, yeah. the movie works so well uh, with the with that context that you said, because like the play was written also with that context. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, also. As a sidebar, the tagline for the movie is, uh, you are cordially invited to George and Martha's for an evening of fun and game. Yeah. Which is just a perfect tagline for this. Well, and also think about what the title of the movie is. The title of the movie is the name of a game. Yeah. Who's Afraid it's- of Virginia Woolf is a game. So, well, not really a game, but it's like a, it's like a song they sing that's part of a game. But also so- it's based on Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf, which yeah. is a children's. Exactly. And it's... And again, you know, the big bad wolf is, it's not what it seems. Is that last name wolf because it's spelled W-O-O-L-F? O-O-L-F? There's yeah. two O's? Yeah. I thought there were 
two Fs. Oh, uh, no. Huh. Uh, yeah, it's still pronounced wolf. I know, but I was wondering if their last name was wolf or something, and I missed it. Oh, you mean in the movie? Yeah. Oh, um, no, I think it's just, it's named that for the song. It's named, named that for the for the title. I don't remember their last names in the in the thing. I just remember their first names being George and Martha. Oh, well. I'd have to look it up because I don't remember. Um, um, yeah, it's only just George and Martha. It doesn't say nothing ever mentions their last name. Huh. So Interesting spelling that part of it. Um, yeah, it's just George and Martha. That's it. Oh, well. I, it's it's a fantastic movie, and I'm so glad that I watched it. Even though the characters were assholes, and you love, when you say you like characters, you like likable characters, and none of these people were likable characters. Well, yeah, I won't watch it again, but it's still <laughs> very good. It is. I just love the contrast for that. <laughs> okay, next yeah. up, I my it five favorite. Stars. It's great. Good. My favorite of the three, because we're really just doing three, right? Are you, do you oh, really yeah. No, the Flintstone. Here's the Flintstones. It looks like the cartoon. It's dumb. Next. Good. Okay. So my favorite of the three point two five. Cat on a hot tin roof. I realize why you hate Knives Out. Okay. Because this one, Knives Out, is about this old man who hates every, who hates his family, and gives his fortune to someone who um, he has. Who was uh, he respects? And Captain Hot Tin Roof is about an old man who hates his family and gives some his fortune to someone who's earning his respect, because his entire family wants his fucking fortune and doesn't care about him. And Paul Newman's character, whose name is Brick, okay. <laughs> I, I, when I was, you're commenting and you were saying Rick, and I'm like, no, there's no Rick. <laughs> Yeah, his name's Brick. I said Rick because what kind of fucking name is Brick? <laughs> a southern one? <laughs> uh, I guess. But, um, so, this is also about an old man who, needs, who wants to give his fortune to someone he respects and not his stupid family. Uh-huh. So, yeah, this is the good version of Knives Out. Congratulations, Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. You win. <laughs> that came out decades before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love this movie. I think it's great. Um, Paul Newman is fantastic in it. And the fact that he's like, I don't care about your fortune. I don't care about anything. And, the, and um, Big Daddy, yeah. Um, yeah. Harvey, Big Daddy, uh, Pollitt, okay. Um, so he's, he's dying and all of his family is hiding that from him so that they can fight over his money. Not to like respect him or anything specifically for that reason, and well, uh, no so one loves to, each other. I'm gonna give a little bit of a context, okay? So this is a film about the American South. I know okay. about the American South because my mom is from there, so I've been there I'm quite familiar. In the American South, you don't say like you know how you know the saying you, you said the quiet part out loud. There is yeah. no out. There's nothing. <laughs> okay. That's the way the American South works. You don't talk about the uncle that you don't leave your kids with. You just, like, that's as much as you say. You just don't, don't leave your kids with him. And that's it. You don't explain why, okay? That's, that's how the South operates. 
when it comes to things like that and when it comes to everything and basically but if you're not a part of that family so family dynamics must stay within the family but if you're not a part of that family gossip abounds okay so everybody talk about you but the people in the family don't discuss certain things you just don't say stuff so what happens is when um, the doctor comes and tells the wife that he's dying she wants to go into denial so everybody is like okay we won't talk about the fact that he's dying but the way to talk about it without talking about it because that you're still going to talk about things but you're not going to mention it like i said you just say you know don't leave your kids with charlie the reason the way you talk you talk about things is talk around them so instead of talking about big daddy dying they say well who's going to get the estate and it all becomes a race to get a way to get theirs because they start thinking like yeah they're assholes they're narcissists they're selfish assholes and brick is like i don't give a shit because he's the only human being in the whole thing as far as his family you know his actual core family because he's like you know this is my father dying but again you can't say you can't say that don't say the words because it's almost like because there there's like this the mentality that words have power so if you say that your father is dying then he's dying but if you don't say it then you get to be in denial until he actually dies and then you can be like it came out of nowhere so that's the context for this entire story okay um there's a japanese movie called akira which is about a man that's dying and the doctors don't say uh don't want to tell him that he's dying but he overhears them so it's a mentality that ha- that is in like a lot of culture that you don't tell people that they're dying so that they can enjoy the rest of their life. Yeah. Um, it's still like, it's fucked. Yeah, it's so there's an element of that to the film as well where you get the feeling that that's what the mom is thinking where she's like don't tell him so that he can enjoy his last few weeks or days however long he has but the reality is she doesn't want to tell him cuz she doesn't want to deal with it. Okay. So she wants to deny it as long as possible, but she's hiding behind if he doesn't know then he'll enjoy himself. So she's robbing him of knowing his own life expectancy because she doesn't want to have to face it. So um so that's what's so really So still selfish. All these people are selfish in their own way. Exactly. Everybody is selfish. Everybody in the film. Even um but the thing is like the thing that I love about this movie is the fact that yeah, everybody is selfish, but the person who is the biggest asshole is the least selfish. <laughs> like, That's why like, he's an asshole. Yeah, uh, yeah, cuz he's basically like the scapegoat for the family, so he's like, "Fine, whatever. Put it all on me. I don't care." And like the part to me that really encapsulates that is many happy returns. Oh my gosh, that one line. Oh, it killed me. Oh. Um uh, he also doesn't have a will, and because no one talks about him dying, if he dies without them um, saying anything, he won't have a will. So they, they show that there's consequences to hiding truth, the truth from him. Right. Well, there's also, just, <coughs> excuse me, there's also just the fact that a man with his amount of wealth should have a will. So it's highly irresponsible. And so to me, that's another layer. Because he keeps going on and on about how Brick is a child, he's a spoiled child, but he and how irresponsible Brick is. But then you look at his own stuff, like he's not responsible either. He because a man of his wealth should have a will. 
he should have a plan for that, even without a, an, an unhealthy diagnosis. Just like what? Because if you look at his wealth in today's terms, he would be a billionaire. What billionaire today doesn't have all of the financial papers lined up for everything, like for down the road, you know, for like, for their, like a will and, and all of the other financial papers for planning. Even if you think you're going to live to 140, you're going to protect your assets, which he didn't do. That's really, and not having a will. And so there are other examples of like, but, but there are things that they're, it's, it's looking behind the curtain and seeing like, oh yeah, you're pointing your finger at Brick saying, oh, he's not, he's irresponsible. He's this and he's that. That may be true, but it's also true about you. It's also true about your wife. And it's sure as hell true about your other children. The, the entire setup for um, this movie and revealing everyone's faults, including Brick's, because uh, Brick is an alcoholic, and he they openly he the the fact that the um that Big Daddy and Brick basically have this back and forth, the one um shows that even though they're both irresponsible and <coughs> excuse me, did you shows that there's even if there's no. Even if they're irresponsible, they're um, they're trying to help each other and fix the relationship, which is why at the end he gets the he starts his will. Yeah, it's and to me, um, to me, the whole point of everything was, I to me, Big Daddy's illness was a way of saying this family is dying. Like he was saying, like you know, he called his 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 um. I think he had cancer. He called it like a rot. I think it's like, it's an allegory for the rot within the family. And it's the not saying things. And nobody can heal until they bring it out in the open. Because like he kept refusing medicine, remember? He was like, no, no, I'll be fine. Uh, Because even he didn't want to acknowledge the truth. Um, So so to me, it's like, and especially, because he's the one who brought up, you know, mendacity and, and, the whole, like, that whole argument, oh, man, when the two of them were going at it in the basement, oh, I loved it. It was my favorite. And then it's when they good. go out, like, oh, just everything. <laughs> I love this movie. Um, I can tell. To me, the, <laughs> I did. You know why? Because I felt very much like Brick. When I, was, I was a kid when I watched this movie. I was like a teenager. But I felt very much like Brick. I totally identified with Brick. Um, where like you have these ideals of who you think you are, but you come smack face to face with who you really are and you can't handle it. So you try to, with him, it was drinking. And with me, it's just like disassociation. You just try to, you try to drown yourself in an activity so that you, like he says, like that click that's in your head. Like to me, that's, I, I don't know about like addictions, but to me, like he's that I think would be a, a good example of why people become addicts because they try to turn that click off. But then, just like Big Daddy says immediately after, yeah, and then you wake up in the morning and it's, your problems are still there. He's so good, so, and he knows that, yeah. that he's not only talking about brick, but like him, but himself as well. Yeah, it's it, it's all, and that's the thing about this movie is even though they're yelling at each other, it's all self-reflecting. And there are moments when they all slow down and they act, well, not all of them. There are moments when three of them, (laughs) because let's face it, (laughs) the only people with any kind of an arc are Maggie, Brick, and Big Daddy. 
everybody else ends the movie just as loathsome as they begin. <laughs> so they're the only it's, three characters that actually have any kind of come to Jesus moment and self-reflection and like are therefore able to possibly move on. We don't really know because we just see like the end, you can tell that Maggie and Brick moved on and it looks like maybe the dad did, but then uh, the whole point of this is looks are deceiving. So you don't know. You can, so, um, it's up for interpretation. I, the, the, one of the characters is called May and everyone hates May. She is shut out all the time. She wants to be a part of everything and everyone's like, no, go away. Wait, May was the sister-in-law, right? Yeah. I fuck that bitch. Yeah. She, I can't stand her. You know not why? Not anyone else. She's a weasel. So it's not, okay, the way you said it was way more sympathetic. You described her as like, oh, nobody wants to play with her. No, she's a bitch. And people are like, get away from me, you rat fuck. She is the epitome of, uh, she and her husband are perfect epitome of golden child syndrome. And I fucking hate golden children. So yeah, uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, her. Those are probably and her kids too. They are her kids. little brats. That's why they're obnoxious little shitheads. Yeah. No. Oh. And what was it uh, that uh, Maggie calls them with no neck children or something? Yeah. No necks. <laughs> I appreciate that. I love it. It is. Ooh. It is a great way of calling someone fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love it. She's either calling them fat, but or it's like you never stick your neck out for anyone. It's more metaphorical. <laughs> yeah, it's it's both because they're just they're the worst. Imagine for people who haven't seen it, imagine a family of Veruca Salts. Oh yeah, she's totally Veruca Salt. That's what they are. They like are if, family- if Willy Wonka didn't murder her and she grew up, and they, yeah, and she had a bunch of kids just like her. Oh, like, you're totally right. Oh. Going after like the one who who barges in on them when she and um when when Maggie and Brick are talking and um I love see this is why I love I love Brick's character because when the little girl bar- barges in and she's and um Maggie basically just insults her and says like get the fuck out of here and the little girl's like why is Uncle Brick on the floor and Brick looks at her and goes your Uncle Brick tried to kill your Aunt Maggie but he failed <laughs> <laughs> yes I love it. <laughs> It's, because he is the king of no shits given. Just like, fuck oh, it, I'm going to tell you. Nobody else in this family does, so I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I I love Paul Newman in this. Paul Newman's great. His level of not giving a fuck, I respect. This is it the is, kind of not giving a fuck I want to have. Minus the alcohol. It's, it's the level of not giving a fuck I've been on since 1996. How are you doing <laughs> that? I... I wish I were kidding, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, oh, and he's like, I think his eyes got bluer in this role. It's disgusting. Oh, he's so gorgeous. <laughs> he's so good. I also, he's been, he had a career for like 50 years. Yes. More than that. He's because he started off on like on uh, a sitcom, I think. Well, you'll get to find out next month because he's your person next month. Six. Um, his first movie. Let me. Uh, his first movie was uh, Knife in the Dark in 1954, and his last movie was Fucking Cars. <laughs> uh, you always gotta go to animation. Well, you are up there. 
His last movie was in 2017. And it was Cars 3. It's ridiculous. I haven't seen Cars. It looks dumb. Okay, this is what's really sad. I've actually seen it. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's a lot of kids. Leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> no, I get it. Three Cars movies. They're not bad. Uh, it, they're fine. It doesn't matter. But it's Paul Newman, which is... He deserves the better than having his last movie be fucking Cars 3. The saddest part about all of this is the fact that you can't see him because those eyes and those cheekbones and the jaw, he's just perfect. He, he was physical perfection. Even like, Are you okay? still hot. You need a moment. Would, shut up. <laughs> you will see that like, there is not a film where he does not look good, which by the way, if you could get Hutsucker Proxy, that's like the closest to him being gross, but just because he plays like an oligarch who's all crazy and shit. But um, I've been trying to get it for months. It is. I don't know if you would like it though. There's the caveat because it is entirely sarcastic humor. It's hysterical if you're me. <laughs> like, like for me, it's just like it's that Cohen Brothers humor, which I I don't think you like that, do you? Uh, yeah, I do. Oh. Um, <clears throat> so, I like sarcasm. I just don't like it when people are openly toxic. Unless the point of the movie is that they're openly toxic, like in Wolf, uh, yeah, that's the Coen Brothers humor. Yeah, um, but that's the Coen Brothers humor. It's always like a bunch of of not good people, but the whole situation is set to a sarcastic bent. So it's like Huck Sexual Proxy and um, Fargo. It's a similar type of vibe. We're like everybody's assholes, but the good guy maybe wins. So <laughs> question mark? Yeah, well it's a it's a Cohen Brothers film. <laughs> so it's like it's pretty much like like yeah, it's Cohen Brothers film. That's all I'm gonna say. Okay. Um, I love it. Um so any final thoughts on Cat on a Hot Tin Roof? Um, which my favorite of Taylor's films. I think it's Okay, I think it's the best movie. I think that her best performance is Virginia Woolf. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, definitely. But that, but Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is my favorite of her movies. Her, she was good in it, but yeah, nothing compares to her performance in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Fair enough. Um, do you think I should watch Cleopatra? No. Okay, good. That'll save me time. <laughs> Were there any other uh, Taylor movies that you saw during this or ever? Or are uh, these the only? No, only the Flintstones and fuck the Flintstones. Indeed. She's um, also so in the version of A Star is Born. She is. Um, <clears throat> if you were going to see any more, I would suggest maybe National Velvet because that's like her first. I don't know if. I think that's her first film, period. Uh, but her it's first def- film is uh, There's One Born Every Minute from 1942, oh, okay. and then Lassie Come Home, uh, oh. then Jane Eyre. Well, National Velvet, I think, is her, her like debut like her hitting the scene okay that makes sense it's early on she started off in 1942 and national velvet was in 1944 yeah it's so basically it's what made her a household name that makes sense indeed 1944 and her last film if you don't count documentaries or uh archive footage um oh please tell me her last film wasn't the the Flintstones. All right, her last film was uh, These Old Broads in, in 2001. Interesting. <clears throat> Didn't know that. Which is a shame, really. Fun fact about her. You ready? Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. I'm going to okay. tire to Star Wars. Really? She, <laughs> yes. I appreciate you. 
Um, you know who played Princess Leia, right? Yes, Carrie Fisher. Carrie, Carrie Fisher. Okay. Do you know who Carrie Fisher's mother is? Debbie Reynolds. Yes. Do you know who Carrie Fisher's father is? No. Doesn't matter. He. Okay. Good talk. <laughs> he was mainly pop. His name is Eddie Fisher. He was mainly popular back then, like okay. in the forties, right? Okay. How this all ties to Elizabeth Taylor is Debbie Reynolds was married to Eddie Fisher and had Carrie Fisher by him, later had a son. When Carrie was two, De um, Elizabeth Taylor's husband died. I think he died in a, a plane accident. And they were very close family because, you know, back then Hollywood, like the stars were like, they came through the system together. So they were all friends. And um, Elizabeth Taylor and Debbie Reynolds were good friends. They came up together, like in that same Judy Garland kind of circuit, right? Right. And so when her husband died, Eddie Fisher went to console her and then, you know, didn't leave. And he became her next husband. So All right. Carrie Fisher's dad left her mother for Elizabeth Taylor. And then later on, Elizabeth Taylor left him. And he was one of her, I think she was married eight times. He's one of her eight husbands. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, so I can always find a way to bring, some, bring it back to either Marvel or Star Wars. Who comes to the eighth wedding? After, <laughs> after seven weddings, for the eighth wedding, you're like, mm, this isn't going to last. Everybody, because it's Elizabeth Taylor and she was Hollywood royalty by then. Because that I was mean, like the 80s. That's fair, but I bet they had a pool going. For how long it'll I mean, last. Most, you know, most definitely. But at that time, like, well, I don't know if you guys got the, well, you weren't born yet. So it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know if Australia had that. Doesn't matter. He wasn't here. Um, <laughs> they were commercial <laughs> with Elizabeth Taylor. She had perfume and uh -huh. she would like push the, her perfume. And the commercials were like legendary because they were so like over the top. And, um, because it would be like people gambling and like sweaty, like some kind of like tropical location and it's all black and white and you're like, what the hell is going on? And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, glamorous Elizabeth Taylor walks in, takes off her earrings and throws them on the table and looks straight at the camera and says something really stupid. And you're like, oh, this is like, <laughs> like her, her fucking perfume. And so... <laughs> So she was like, but she was known as like the Hollywood royalty because she was like one of the remaining older people from the time who was still alive and still, you know, filming stuff. Like she and Paul Newman and Debbie Fisher, they hung around for a while. And so basically, like now we have Betty White. Take Betty White, but make her famous this entire time, not just from the 80s on. So famous from like the 40s till the till the the 90s or 2000s actually so famous from the 40s to the 2000s and have her be like one of five people remaining that are of that ilk and so yeah everybody wanted to go to that wedding didn't matter if you were like this relationship is done yeah probably doesn't matter it's elizabeth taylor plus she seems like she can throw a good party oh she's yeah she's she had all the money in the world so <laughs> And she, yeah, like, she was the embodiment of Hollywood glitz and glamour. So, yeah, that was, she's it was the probably... the embodiment of Hollywood glitz and glamour, and she's a fantastic actress to boot. She deserves everything she's got. Indeed. Indeed. So, um, the other, well, 10 at this point, can't be 11, because this is, we, are, we skipped January. 
So the other 10 people on this list are going to be other well-deserving actors, people who have an impressive body of work that I will try my best to encapsulate in five films or less. So you're going to see like a range of things. Like with this, you saw her do a comedy, you saw her go, you know, all the way with Virginia Woolf, and you saw like a preview of that with Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. So for all for the rest of the actors and the rest of the films from here out, it's going to be a similar mix of that. So it's like starting with Paul Newman um, and like I said, we're going to six degrees of Kevin Bacon it to December. So this should be fun. It sounds like it's fun. I'm very excited. Indeed. All right. This is going to be fun. All right. So um, any parting words for Elizabeth Taylor? Uh, Elizabeth Taylor is fantastic. And I can't believe that I haven't watched any of her movies up until this point, except for the fucking Flintstones. That, I don't care that I can watch her other movies. I get it. i got to catch up. But when Elizabeth Taylor is the actress and you've only seen the Flintstones, that's, that's a crying shame. Yep. <laughs> also, the Flintstones sucks. Paul yes. Newman. Can't wait for Paul Newman. Yes. He is awesome. He is pretty much the male version of, of uh, Elizabeth Taylor. The, the thing about both of them is they're so physically gorgeous that it's easy to get caught up and think, oh, they're only famous because they're beautiful. But no, they're actually very talented. If I'm being honest, if like the only movie I saw of hers was Father of the Bride, then I would probably believe that. But going from Father of the Bride to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, I'm like, oh no, she's actually good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, with Paul Newman, oh, you gotta watch Cool Hand Luke. <clears throat> I had Cool Hand Luke. Good. You gotta watch it. Um, okay. I, I like, uh, I think, I can't think of a, a Paul Newman film that I don't like. Because he's just, he's so Paul Newman. Like, ah, uh, he's, he's great. He's not only gorgeous, but he's also a very different character in each of his films. But every single character has that just, like, quiet coolness to him, you know? That just, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit here and be awesome. But it's not, but they're very different characters. Because, like, Brick had that, but not nearly in the way that his character from Cool Hand Luke or from Nobody's Fool or from The Sting or any of the other films. Um, yeah, it's, they're all completely different. Like, I just watched, uh, like, last month I watched a film with him and Sally Field. I can't remember what it's called. But even in that one, I was like, my favorite part, I love Sally Field. She's one of my favorite actresses. But in that film, he was, like, he was, he was my favorite character. And it's the, it was the Paul Newman of it all because the way he handled every single, I mean, he was playing the character perfectly, but the way his character handled all the other characters, I was like, oh, I want to be like that when I grow up. <laughs> it sounds like fun. doesn't matter that I'm in my 40s. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Follow us on all the things. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. One of us will be there. Which one? It's a mystery. Links in the description. Until next time, goodbye. Peace.